This episode of Motherhood in Hollywood is sponsored by Kinsa, the world's smartest thermometer. When my daughter Channing is sick, I turn to my Kinsa smart thermometer for peace of mind. It remembers her temperature, symptoms, and medication, so I don't have to. And it even lets me send it to her doctor. Get your own Kinsa at KinsaHealth.com. Motherhood in Hollywood is also sponsored by Bumby Box, an eco-friendly toy subscription service your kids will love. Each Bumby Box comes with fun, play-based toys and activities specially chosen for your child. And if you enter the code M-I-H-O-O-D at checkout, you'll get 10% off. What a deal! Go to BumbyBox.com and find out why Bumby Box is a better way to play. Hello, Mama! Grab your popcorn and goobers. It's time for Motherhood in Hollywood with your host, Heather Brooker. This is a crude prude's perspective on being a full-time mom in showbiz. She's not a perfect mom, but she can play one on TV. Hold on to your butts. Here's Heather. Hello, friends and family of Motherhood in Hollywood. Um, it's me, Heather. Welcome to episode 40. What if I did every episode like that? Now, listen here. See, it's the 1940s and we're here to talk about podcasting and a little bit of news. Hmm, what do you think about that? Um, I'm pretty sure you guys would send me emails like, fucking stop it, you're insane. Uh, it would get a little annoying after a while, so I won't, I promise. I'll just throw it in every now and then. Uh, it's episode 40. I have a great guest on today. So my um, my friend is coming on today. His name is Travis Oates. Travis is the voice of Piglet for uh, Winnie the Pooh, and he's done like the TV shows and movies. He also is a writer and producer. He also does what's called uh, touch-up, or punch-up, excuse me, not touch-up, that's something different, punch-up work for feature films and television shows, and I'll let him explain a little bit about uh, what's involved with that, and we talk about everything from like our you know, their love of geekdom, um, and how he grew up in Canada. He was a, he was a child star in Canada, um, friends with a lot of huge celebrities here in Hollywood. But as often happens, sometimes you see the people around you and your friends like shooting up to stardom, you know, getting their own shows, starring in major movies. And you're, um, sitting in your office doing a podcast. What? Um, hashtag grateful. <laughs> anyway, so he talks a little bit about the anonymity and frustrations that sometimes come along with being a writer and director. Lots of good stuff packed into this episode today. I want to remind everybody that I am going to be appearing on Lopez, I think, on uh, this week, the week this episode comes out on April 6th. You know, you never know. I'm always hesitant to kind of tell people, hey, watch for me on this show or that show because I have been burned so many times. I've actually shot quite a few TV shows. I was on The Office twice, but it never aired like in prime time because they cut me out for time. The Office like way overshot a lot of their stuff. Um, they let their actors improvise and whatnot. So twice... I told everybody I knew, oh my God, I'm going to be in the office. And uh, it didn't happen. I still, my episode of The Office still airs in reruns. The one I did where Jim and Pam have a baby. It was, I think it's called The Delivery Part One. It still airs in reruns like on TBS and, you know, stuff like that. So people, it's still, I'm still seen, but it's just super embarrassing to tell everyone that you're going to be on a 
huge show and then it doesn't actually happen. So uh, my my hope and what I, my understanding is that on April 6th, I'm going to be on Lopez on TV land. It's a really fun part. Check it out. Tweet at me at MIH podcast or at Heather Brooker. I also have my personal Heather Brooker Twitter that I forget about sometimes. I'll just randomly go on there and put inappropriate comments just so I make sure um, I'm still over there. But I see you guys on at Heather Brooker. Um, and uh, but I mostly focus on MIH podcast now. Uh, what else? Oh, Spring Fest is coming up. Um, that is a fun event for moms and and uh, dads and new parents to go and check out the latest and greatest in baby products. I'm going to be stopping by there. So if you want to come, let me know. I'll put a little blurb on it on my website. Um, what else? Uh, I'm sure there's like a thousand things. Oh, the MIH 15. I just totally whistle talked. Sorry. It's weird. Sometimes I do that. (laughs) It's a weird habit I have. You guys have weird habits, right? No, just me. Um, I, uh, what the hell was I talking about? Oh, MIH 15 by 15. So I have a month now to lose the 15 pounds that I had set for myself. The goal of 15 pounds by my 15th wedding anniversary and although I feel like I'm doing well, I'm still not where I want to be. So I'm really going to be buckling down this next month. Um, I go to the gym intermittently between my fun workouts that I do, like the cool things around town that I'm doing. But I also still go to the gym in the in-between. So just so you guys know. But I'm just frustrated because I'm not, you know, I want a flat stomach and I want you know, a smaller butt, Um, but it's just, it's not happening. And I know that uh, aside from probably like working out two hours a day, which I don't have the time to do, you know, I don't know how people get there. Maybe they start off there. Uh, Maybe. Anyway, I'm still striving. My point is I'm still striving, even though the struggle is real. I want pizza like in my face right now. Um, the struggle is real, but I'm not giving up. I have a goal. I've set a very public goal and I intend to reach it. So there's that. If you're also doing the MIH 15 by 15 along with me, you should know that I'm going to be giving out a really cool prize at the end for those of you who are doing the 15 by 15 with me. If you want to tweet at me or post um, about it on my Facebook page and say, hey, I want it on, on that prize, I'll pick a random winner. And uh, you guys will get a really cool gift from me for doing the MIH 15 by 15 with me. Um, Okay, so I want to keep my mommy monologue short today because I want to get right to my guests. We have so much to talk about, so many cool things. Um, Travis used to be my director uh, in improv and sketch here in Los Angeles many, many moons ago, pre-Channing days. Um, So you'll get to hear us talk a lot about the state of improv and sketch comedy in Hollywood today. So much good stuff. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Here's my interview with writer and director Travis Oates. Just a moment ago, you were saying that I was your favorite person ever to direct at Acme Comedy Theater. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I Um, comment on that all the time. Right. Exactly. Um, Travis Oates is here, writer, director, extraordinaire. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for asking me to come out. Now, um, you have a baby. I do have a baby. He's not a baby anymore, though. He's a good boy. In fact, he insists that he's not a baby. I used to, uh, we used to do a thing where we would, uh, you know, kind of zerbered his tummy Mm -hmm. and I would say that I was, I was getting his baby belly and then 
about a good solid year ago, he said, Daddy, I'm not a baby. He's like, stop doing yeah. that. So I'm now a... it's his boy belly. Does he call himself a big boy? Uh, he calls himself boy, which is kind of an interesting thing. In fact, the other day we had a play date and it was two little girls and he kept saying, thank you, boy, to the girls. Yeah. And we realized he doesn't know gender at all. No, no. Channing's um, doing the same thing. She says he, she mixes up he and she a lot. Yeah. And so I asked him, I said, uh, uh, now what are you? Are you, and he says, I'm a boy. And I says, okay, is daddy a boy? And he says, no, daddy's a man. Oh, and you were like, damn right. Exactly. <laughs> and then I said, well, is what's mommy? And he looked at mommy and said, a person, which oh. I thought was interesting. Yeah. And, and same with Grammy. Grammy's a person. But no, no concept of girl. I said, is she a girl? He said, no, he's, she's a person. Which oh, either he is strictly for... Like he's a feminist at two, <laughs> right. uh, or he's or like, that's just his label perception. My mommy. Exactly, she's a person. She's not a girl. She's a person. Uh, so <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Now you're you stay at home and work most of the time, right? I do. I'm kind of Mr. Mom. You right are now. Mr. Mom. Yeah. And how's yeah. that going? Oh, I love it. I mean, I I <clears throat> I would like if it held that way. I mean, the only problem is I can't direct and be at home. Right. And I wouldn't want to go another two full years without directing something. But right. I, I, it's an ideal situation for, for having a child. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I think, uh, my wife misses being home. She was, we both took the first year off of, of his, uh, of his childhood. So we were both home for the first year, but then she went back to work. Um, uh, and she has a fairly intense job that takes her in fact, she'll be going to Washington D.C. I think for a oh, week cool. coming up here, and <clears throat> so she doesn't uh, she doesn't get as much home time, and uh, I I love it. I mean, yeah. I th- it's fascinating to watch how he uh, progresses and how he evolves uh, as a it's, person. Yeah, it's very they're odd. literally you can see them becoming people and like what they're going to be like. Ideally, little nuggets of it. Hopefully, they're not like to right. that extreme sometimes but like little nuggets of their personality and you're like oh my gosh you're gonna be like a really cool person you know or or man you're gonna be a butthole <laughs> right you know <laughs> right right yeah i mean it's 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 not only does it warm your heart as a parent but it it's a fascinating thing as a writer mm-hmm. to watch the evolutionary process of how he how he discovers things and what he considers important and the concepts that he gloms onto. Just, you know, like I said, not understanding gender is something that I hadn't even recognized until recently. But the things he does get early mm-hmm. and the things that he doesn't, like no concept of... Uh, it's, it's interesting that children at that age have no concept of race or gender. And there are things that you can see directly, like, I did that. Like, you can see he's he's ridiculously polite and it's and that's something definitely that we that we reinforce reinforced because we always say thank whenever he does anything we thank him for it and and we're just we say please and thank you all the time to Mm -hmm. him and so he reflects them back and even when he's (laughs) when he's angry and he gets really upset and uh, you know he gets into the no phase he'll go no thanks daddy no No thank you yeah Channing will go no thank you exactly (laughs) so he's angry but still polite like and you look at that and you go okay I get that I get why he's doing that and I know that I'm a part of that but then there are other things he's into trains crazy for trains really? crazy for trains that 
comes from nowhere. I, I, you're not a big train guy. I'm not, I never have been. I'm, I, I'm like his grandfather had, was into trains, but he's, I mean, great grandfather, Mm -hmm. my grandfather was into trains, but he wouldn't know that or have any, I mean, you know, uh, he's not even around with us anymore. And, but, uh, for Christmas, because he had his first real Christmas, uh, he's two years old, so he understood Christmas a little bit better and understood presents. And <clears throat> so for Christmas, we decided, well, we're new parents too, so you, you, I'm sure you did this too. We way overspent. Oh, for sure. For her, for his first Christmas. Yeah. Just because, uh, you know, we just want him to have, you know, happy face and Yeah, we went uh, open nuts. Presents. We like got her her own apartment. I know. <laughs> I mean, we were I, like, whatever you need. Exactly. And I was like, I don't really know. Maybe she needs all this. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I decided to do the whole thing with the train going around the tree, you oh, know, because I'd always oh, yeah. seen that and I'd never experienced Classic. that. So I was like, okay, let's go old school. So Lego makes a train because he because uh, he loves uh, Lego, not Duplo. He can't stand Duplo, oh. but he loves Lego. Snob, snob. <laughs> uh, but Lego had this had a train. And it was really more for adults because it was a complex set. But it had a train, and I said, okay, so you know, uh, have this Lego train going around the tree. And so he comes into the room and he sees the train and he goes right to it. And he's just fascinated by it, and it's going around in a circle and. And uh, then I say, okay, son, uh, you want to uh, open a present? And he says, uh, no, thank you, Daddy Train. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> I said, um, okay. Now, son, seriously. <laughs> Meanwhile, like, you have tens of thousands literally, of dollars worth I mean, of just, toys I'm and I'm just presents. like tons of stuff. <laughs> well, you know, honey, you should. No, thank you, Daddy. Had no interest in anything just else. Just one of the trains. Just the train. Played with that train and that train alone for until two o'clock in the morning just took the train with him everywhere and uh then three days went by because it was not a little kid train so it was hard to put on the tracks Uh three days went by of uh daddy track train on the track uh mommy train on track uh of like every five minutes for three days and finally we were like i don't care how much we just spent on christmas I don't care how little he played with any of it. We have to go find a train that he can put back on the tracks himself. Have you gone himself. to Travel tra- uh, Travel Town? Well, we went. No, we haven't gone to Travel Town oh. yet. But we got we got him a Thomas. You know the, the Thomas, Thomas the train, the tra- oh, yeah, train like and Thomas. a uh, train. That's table. how annoying is that song? Oh well, n- now for the six, like it just loops in my brain. <laughs> well, now that and now he's train crazy because like we had no mm-hmm. idea, and I still don't know where he got it. Oh. He just recently saw his first. Real train tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, we were traveling. We stopped, and and he went out and saw the real train tracks, and he gave them a kiss. Oh. He really <laughs> oh was very excited. There so. is something about little boys and trains, though. They're very like my one of my friends, Eleanor, who has a little boy, loves trains. Like yeah. he's super into it. There must just be something about them that little boys connect with. I guess because the show is creepy as hell. <laughs> The Thomas show, I mean, the faces look... They're weird. They're so weird. Look at the same time plastic and yet super realistic. Yeah. Like they're, it is like really frightening. Like they're pushing through skin yeah. and talking. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really scary looking mm-hmm. at first, I think. Um, uh, but yeah. And they're kind of all dicks. Yeah, like like the trains, yeah. like I know they're trying to teach. Ah, oh, here's things that you shouldn't do, but and, and moral le- to each other. moral lessons mm-hmm. to one another. And it's kind of strangely 
fascist. Like the guy who <laughs> the guy who runs the place owns all the trains, right? Right. right. And then he it's the whole thing Mr. of Topham like hat. yeah, Mr. Topham hat. Mm-hmm. And and it, the biggest compliment is you're a very useful engine. And it's it's like. <laughs> So if he's not a useful engine, he's out. He's, out. he's like scrap. He's out. It's just kind of like weirdly Mussolini-esque, you know. The <laughs> well, trains are running it, on time, it's made you know. In England, so right. maybe there's some like leftover um, World War II animosity. I don't there know. There's, it's it's kind of whichever one. I'm horrible at history. Whichever one Mussolini was in. Mussolini. Italy. World War One. World War Two. Oh, World War Two. Okay, so I got. Well, the he war wasn't right. technically. I mean, that's why Italy dropped out it. of World War Two. Yeah. II, okay. yeah. Yeah. I was like, but I Mussolini do- was technically at the beginning part of the Axis powers. History on yeah. my podcast. I'm terrible yeah. at history. I love it. And if you we talked about English Tudor history, um, I could talk about that for days. Well, see, I was educated in Canada, so oh I yeah, Canada. Historical. I forget you're a huge star in Canada, right? Uh, well, <laughs> I, in my day, I but not anymore. I mean, if I mean the show that I was on was a long running show, but it's not on anymore. But it was like the you can't do that on television of Canada. Right? No, you can't oh, do that on television. Was that you can't do that uh, of television of Canada? That was that, that was filmed in Canada. Filmed in Canada. Yeah. Oh my god. I was almost on that show. <gasps> I was oh. on. I, I I very very uh, came very close to being on that show, and and we we made the decision to make a my my team at the time decided rather than doing that show, I would go make a movie in Nicaragua, and I look <laughs> back at that and I. And and the movie was a very prestigious film, but probably would have done more for my career if I'd if you had done, the, done the slime show. Yeah, the slime show, and um, I would have got to know uh, Alanis Morissette. I know. Uh, how cool yeah. would that be? She wasn't on for very long, though, right? No, but she would have been on at the same time that I was. You were. Yeah. What was the name of your show in Canada? Uh, Beachcombers. Did you come to L.A. to do acting? Is that what brought you out here? I I came to L.A. Uh, twice. The first time that I came, I was here just in in time to um, uh, be in an earthquake. Yeah. The uh, Northridge quake? Yes, the Northridge quake. And I and I, and I I decided uh, that I would go back home then for a while. So then what led to, after you, you know, left and came back and then um, came back again, what led to um, Acme and writing and, like, sort of what came first there? Well, I left... I left that first time and then I, I went to college for a few years as a music major. Uh, and when I was in college, uh, I met a, a friend of mine uh, in, named Jeremy and we, um, we started a sketch show together called CIA Comedy in Action mm-hmm. or Comedians in Agony. And then we got mm-hmm. a local origination um, television show. Um, like like a basic cable television show where we were doing sketch comedy on it. Oh, that's fun. Um, like Wayne's World, kind of. No, no, it was it was oh, like sketch. A, a, yeah, it was actual sketch. It was mm-hmm. like it was like Saturday Night Live, but with no budget. Oh, all right. So, uh, and you know, and I look back at that. I have some of the tapes from those, and they were pretty bad. I mean, it was <laughs> this is way before I I had developed my method or any of that kind right, of stuff. Right. So I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, any more than anybody else does when they start writing sketch, and you know it's, it was pretty bad. It was it was it legitimately horrible. So sketch has been something that you've been doing for some time and involved right. with in some time in some way. Well, I should say uh, to back up that mm-hmm. th- so the partner that I had there, uh, Jeremy, whose full name is Jeremy Renner, mm-hmm. then went and went to Hollywood and uh, starred in a film, National Lampoon Senior Trip. Although Jeremy Renner 
probably doesn't like anybody to know that he did that film anymore. But he Jeremy he, Renner, as in as in Hawkeye, the Hawkeye. Okay, as Chris in, will kill as, me because I almost called him Arrow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and Jerry, I would have yeah. been like, you probably would have killed me too. Yeah. I was multiple like, wait, no- the guy with the arrows? Multiple uh, Oscar nominee, Jeremy Renner. Um, yeah, but he, he did a, like an early sketch thing with you. Yeah, he and, and I were in a sketch. And then he came up here. And when he did his first film, uh, and I called him up and I congratulated him, he said, you know, if I can do this, you can do this. You should come here and I'll help you get set up. Mm-hmm. And, and so he was instrumental um, in me coming down the second time. Yeah. Uh, and then I, yeah, the second time that was in 95, I stayed back then. What was the, what was the atmosphere like amongst improv schools? Cause I don't think there was probably a lot, right? I don't think, um, UCB certainly wasn't UCB here. UCB wasn't here. Neither was, uh, IO. Uh, uh, IO was in its very beginning state, but it wasn't. It wasn't the I.O. that you think of now. And there was no... No second city. No second city either. So it was literally just the Groundlings. Well, on this side of the hill, there was the there was Groundlings and Acme. Uh, and I think um, theater... Or comedy uh, sports? Uh, comedy sports was here. And then theater sports was in the valley. Mm-hmm. And, the, and also um, the folks that did uh, the... The dubbed movies. Oh. Uh, God, what's their name? The dubbed movies. The guys that um, crack jokes in the front. Yeah. The puppet thing. No, no, not not the puppet thing. But oh. it, this was a show they had in the 70s. Uh, and I can't, for the life, they, they I don't think, exist anymore. Mm. Uh, I think they went the way to the Dodo a while ago. But they, they also existed. God, what was their name? Boy, I'm completely drawing a blank. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, and they actually were a bigger competitor than theater sports was, mm-hmm. or or comedy sports. Uh, but yeah, those those were and really really they're the only other true. Really, it was just Acme and the Groundlings as far as yeah. that level, because comedy sports and theater sports weren't really sketch; they were improv. Uh, the other um, folks in the valley, God, what is their name? It's gonna. Connection, comedy, comedy, uh, comedy connection. Is it comedy connection or improv There's, connection? Yeah, something like that. Improv connection, maybe something like that. Anyway, they they did actual um, uh, uh, sketch, but they were a racket. They they were they they they're they were really all about kind of like how how IO does it now. IO went off after their model, mm-hmm. but is IO's less of a racket than they were, in that they just had all these classes and the classes performed, which is the worst way to learn Mm -hmm. improv or sketch Mm -hmm. is to just throw people out there who really don't know anything and just have them do improv in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you had to pay like $120 a month, uh, but that was reduced by $3 for every person you brought in during the month to get a ticket. You're talking about LA Connection. LA Connection. Thank you. LA Connection. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. LA Connection. And they were, they still do that. Yeah. And they're horrible. They're, they're horrible. The the only sketch or improv organization that I will talk shit about and say <laughs> don't go to them is LA Connection. LA Connection is a ripoff. They don't teach you anything. Mm-hmm. They're horrible folks there. Okay. Yeah. They really I, are. They're, they're really terrible. I love terrible. you have such strong opinions. Charles. They really are. They're, they're terrible. <laughs> they're, 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 and, and, you know, when people would come to placement classes at Acme, I would have nothing but good things to say about the groundlings or, yeah. or, or, you know, I would say, here's the different, different, um, 
all the different places and we had a really good relationship with comedy sports and theater sports and mm-hmm. uh but i would always say la connection is the only it's one that i will say the worst stay away from them you will learn nothing they will take a bunch of your money and they're skeevy but how did you get into buying and owning acme like how did that happen well, let's see. I was with Acme, gosh, I don't know how many years, maybe seven or eight years. Uh, I had moved up to the main company. I had been in the main company a few years. And um, Cynthia Segetti uh, left Acme and uh, as the head of the school. So I became head of the school there. And that was when I kind of came up with, I always felt that learning sketch through improv was a really horrible way to learn sketch. Because I'm a, I have a writer's background. And mm-hmm. so I was like, well, if you're going to write sketch, you should approach it like you would approach any, you know, you don't tell a screenwriter that the way, best way to write screenplays is to act in plays. And then that will somehow help you become a screenwriter that, that, that they're not the same plays are not the same as screenplays and, and acting in one is not the same as sitting down and writing one. Uh, so, um, I just thought that that was a terrible method. So I sat down and I'm like, how could you, if I was going to try and teach somebody how to write sketch from a writer's perspective, how would I do that? And I kind of developed the the beginnings, at least, of what mm-hmm. you you eventually took, yeah. um, the sketch program. And it was very different in the beginning. But, but then when we, uh, MD Sweeney, who owned the place before I did, we, uh, we tried it in the very first class. So... In the day, back in the day, we would have a class and they would move up into the company. So he would usually choose two or three people of 20 to move into a company. Right. Because uh, that's usually how many people put up good work. So the first class we tried my new method on, uh, he moved all 18 people. Oh, because wow. literally there wasn't a bad sketch on the stage. And he was just, we were both. I was too. I was like... It was one of these things where it's like, I had no idea it was going to work that well. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it was one of these things where it's like, wow, if we teach them how to write that way, it's almost, it was just, you know, they performed 20 sketches and there were 20 funny sketches and we had never seen anything like that. Was this the time that you were sort of um, finding that you were being pulled more in the direction of writing and directing rather than acting? Well, I had been, that had been happening for a long, long time. I mean, I, I had, uh. I also started directing the Bravo company and, and I had already made the decision that I probably wouldn't do another show as an actor at Acme when I started directing the Bravo company. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just was career wise. I was finding a lot more success as a writer than I was as an actor. Uh, I was finding success in the voiceover world, but, but as a, as a screen performer, the, the, the last commercial strike killed my career as an on-screen performer because I was mostly a commercial actor and the year that we had the commercial strike, I had five commercials. Not the writer's strike. You're talking about the commercial strike. The commercial strike. I had five commercials on the air at the same time going into the commercial strike. And I only did one more on-camera commercial for the rest of my career after the the commercial strike. It really, really killed the momentum, the momentum and, and just, just, the uh, the way the commercials were done and how I mean just it was it was it really put a 
put a nail in the coffin of of, of me being a and, That's and because tough, I because commercials can be so lucrative and yeah. they can like you know really set you up yeah um, I mean look at Stephanie Courtney the Geico gal mm-hmm. you know she's set for life but um, yeah that's got to be really frustrating yeah and so I mean and I had just quit my job to my, my regular job and had, had decided I was going to be an actor full time so it was a yeah that was a rough that was a rough couple years there but so were you kind of doing a little soul searching and figuring out like ah maybe I'll transition to something else yeah or? and that was when I, I think right along that period right right in that period is when I became the director of the Bravo company and and in charge of the school at Acme and I just I was starting I I, I sold my first screenplay right, right around then and and I just found that I was I was able to to work as a writer uh better than I was as a as an on-screen actor mm-hmm. at the very least. Uh and then you know this time went by and um I think one of the things that happened was uh because the people that I was bringing up through my sketch method mm-hmm. uh were using that method and it was such a consistent method the Bravo company shows started to outshine the main, the main company, company shows uh and it wasn't necessarily because i had better people it had i had some phenomenal people it was just that we were using a sketch method that was consistent, consistent. that we, yeah. we could we were also doing things completely different than the main company was doing the main company would work for six months to have a bunch of sketches and narrow it down to and we would start with 20 sketches and cut three yeah you know, because the method allowed us to go, we know these sketches will work, so we're going to workshop these sketches. We only did it for two weeks. Mm-hmm. We had two weeks of of of, uh, shows. of of shows where we worked and 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 shaped them a little bit, and then we would cut two or three sketches, and then we would end up with a show that we would run for for ten to twelve weeks. And it was just so different than the way the main company was doing and the shows. I mean, we were outselling the main company. You know, we the, the main company show was co- the tickets were higher, and yet the pro we were making more money on yeah. the Bravo company side of it. And I think it just, um, I think what kind of happened with Sweeney is he saw that happening, and I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but he knew that he wasn't. You know, old dogs knew tricks. Well, old dog knew tricks too, and he'd been doing it for a long time. And I think he felt that that it for him to try and learn how I was doing sketch would be very tough for him. Yeah, Uh, that that would be something for him to to direct and and teach people to do that would be tough. And and also that a lot of the people that were in the main company might not want to make that transition either. You know, so there was. And I think he was getting tired. He wanted to get into the restaurant business. And so he, he was looking to sell Acme. And at the time, I had just sold two or three movies. and, and uh, That you'd written. That I'd written. And, and I, I had, um, I had, uh, I was the, uh, the voice of Piglet. So I was making money Oh, we're money getting on that there. Side. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I just, I had the money. And, and I decided to, to, to. To make an offer. To make an offer. And he took it. And. And was this about the time that like Joel McHale and Alex Borstein were there? Were they in the main company when? Well, they were in the main company. Uh, yeah, when Sweeney and was Adam Carolla. No, Adam Carolla was was old old school. Like Adam like Carolla was you... a performer before I was there. Okay. Yeah, I was there for about twelve years, and Adam was way before my time. I had never, in my mind, bought Acme so that I could run Acme forever. 
Mm-hmm. I wanted to get Acme to the point where it was alive again and then I could have somebody else uh, have it. And I wanted to franchise it. I, I wanted it to be like like, uh, like Second, a Second City. Second City, yeah. You know, I wanted to have Acme, you know, New York and Acme, you know. Yeah, and I, that I, would be so great. I wanted to, to get a... I had a package together so that it would be easy to franchise. And we actually had a couple people who were interested in doing that. Um, and I, I also was trying to take the IP that was being created at Acme and leverage that and make that into something that, you know, would work for television. Uh, and we, we had two different TV deals that because of un- the person I partnered with at the time, who you know, mm-hmm. um, because I couldn't get him to realize how the industry worked, the two television deals that we had fell through. Yeah, I remember you were t- telling us about that. And that was kind of the nail in the coffin for me in that what I was tired of doing was I was tired of putting together shows that everybody was saying was brilliant for 99 people. Right. You know, um, I, I think like the, the real one for me was when I did, uh, 10 little indigenous peoples. And that was a really fun, really amazing show. Uh, I had great actors, but we just put that show together so well. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was absolutely packed to the gills. Every single performance for that run and I thought to myself so we sold a thousand tickets for this show and probably 300 to 400 people saw it you know because a lot of those people were there the whole time yeah we're coming every week and and I just said I just I'm not I'm putting in so much energy to entertain these 400 people I don't know that I'm making the best you use of the years expand. of my career. Yeah, you you know, I, I just, I want, you know, I, I, I just felt like it wasn't, it wasn't the best use of my time. And, and that if my career was going to move forward, I had to let Acme go to a certain extent so that I, you know, I wanted to expand my career and Acme at the same time. But if that wasn't going to happen, uh, you know, the career had to come first. And, you know, it was a very, very difficult decision to make. And of course, in retrospect, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't make that same decision now. You wouldn't? No. You would have kept Acme? I would have kept Acme, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, I, 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 it hurts me. that my, That's my legacy. Yeah. Acme is my, you know, a legacy that is, that is gone now. Hey, you guys, I want to tell you a little bit about Kinsa, the world's smartest thermometer. It is truly designed to give parents peace of mind. And here's what it does. It remembers temperature, symptoms, and medications, and gives guidance on what to do next. It also has a really cool feature where it can send all that information to your child's doctor. What a helpful tool to have in your toolbox, especially when your little one isn't feeling well, you're running around thinking of a million other things. Kinsa remembers all of that for you. To find out more about Kinsa and the world's smartest thermometer, go to kinsahealth.com. And I want to tell you about Bumby Box, a better way to play. Bumby Box is an eco-friendly toy subscription service that sends award-winning toys tailored for your child's age and interest right to your door. Now, if you're anything like me, you have great memories of playing with your family growing up. I used to love to make mud pies with my mom. Well, Bumby Box can help create those beautiful new memories for you and your family. Go to bumbybox.com 
To find out more and make sure you enter the code M-I-H-O-O-D at checkout to get 10% off. BumbyBox.com, a better way to play. Um, Let's talk about Piglet for a second. Are okay. you allowed to talk about Piglet? Yeah, I'm allowed to talk. There's no gag order on the Disney no. stuff? Um, how, there used to be. When I very first got it, there was. I was going to say, how did that um, come to be? Because you are the voice of Piglet, yeah. and that's very exciting. Yeah, I've been the voice of a, of a bunch of different characters over the years, but the the only one that, that I've kind of hung on to is, has been Piglet, yeah. And how did that happen? Were you just, were you just, someone that played around with voices growing up? Yeah, yeah, I always did voices growing up, and I always uh, imitated voices and, and tried to... Uh, you know, a uh, voice match uh, is what the industry would call it. Um, uh, and yeah, it was Acme. I, I was uh, doing a show at Acme. Uh, same time that I met my agents, I met my wife, actually. Yay. Uh, she was working at that agency and they liked me and they signed me commercially and they also signed me, uh, pocketed voiceover. me for voiceover. Nice. Uh, and then I auditioned like a full year before I got my first uh, piglet was my first voiceover gig that I got from there. Oh, wow. And yeah. then you, and you booked the job. Wow. Yeah. And then I booked a bunch of other stuff, but I mean, it, I, I auditioned for a full year before I got anything. Are they making new Winnie the Pooh, um, animation? Well, no, uh, they, they made the movie that was a few years back. Yeah. Um, what was that? Uh, 13, yeah, 2013, was, I think mm, is when it came out. Ago. Uh, and then they did this thing called the mini M I N I adventures of Winnie the Pooh, where they basically were just cutting scenes from existing material and then having the people who voiced the movie revoice mm-hmm. those old materials so that the, there was a consistency of voice there. Um, but, uh, that, that is all that we have done in the past few years. When I first became the voice of Piglet, we were doing stuff constantly. Yeah. Uh, and then we had a television series and we were doing that. Um, I've heard rumors of a live action Winnie the Pooh, um, oh, really? where it's a live action movie where they're kind of, you know how they just did Jungle Book and Maleficent, right. where they were doing a live action Winnie the Pooh where Christopher Robin's all grown up and he comes back and finds his old toys and, and they come back to life again kind of uh, hmm. uh, but I don't know if they're going to use the original voices because oh. Jungle Book didn't use any of the people so who are doing so it's not like you're under contract so. for any piglet ever right because I, I think the isn't the Mickey Mouse guy who the guy who voices Mickey Mouse everybody who works for Disney who's what's called the legacy voice for Disney yeah the legacy voice everybody who is a is a contractor for every every new thing we do it's a new contract Okay. So there's nobody uh, now. They may Mickey Mouse may have a special contract. Sure. It could be, uh, but everybody else. I mean, because I know this is the case with Goofy and and Donald. Mm-hmm. Uh, have every time we go in there, we sign a new contract for that specific job for that project. Interesting. Yeah. So it's possible then that they, if they decide to do the the movie or a new you know version of or whatever, they would audition other piglets. Yeah. That's well, bullshit. they did that with the don't do it Disney. with the with the uh, with the movie that came out a few years back. The that was just called, I think, Winnie the Pooh. Um, that was the case with that one, uh, and uh, the only two original. And I'm not an original voice, but the only two voices that were people who had done the voices previous to that film. Yeah were myself and Jim Cummings, who does Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. So it was just 
myself and Jim Cummings that did that film. That was actually kind of the moment where I think the the industry, the cartoon aficionados out there in the universe went, okay, this guy's really piglet. Oh, good. Yeah, because because they I, have to sort of accept you because right? I was moved forward with Jim, and then the people original. all of a sudden were talking to me like, well, at least they kept you know one of the one of the original piglets. Yeah, yeah. You know, because <laughs> there right. are only two people who've been Piglet, uh, who have voiced the. Uh, there've been. There's one other guy who has been the voice of Piglet, for singing when 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 uh, uh, John Fiedler was doing the voice. Mm-hmm. He sang a few songs for him, I think, in in Piglet's uh, big movie, and obviously there have been people. There's like a guy who's fairly famous in Japan for doing Piglet. So you don't do the any Japanese singing? Piglet. Oh, no, I do. But I'm you saying, do? oh, yeah, I sing as Piglet. But but this was when John was getting older and he couldn't he couldn't sing right, anymore. Right. So, so for Piglet's big movie, I know they got somebody who came in and sang for Piglet. Do you talk to Evan in a Piglet voice? You know, he loves Winnie the Pooh. He's never seen my film, the, the one that I've done, and I don't even know if he's seen any of the stuff that I've done. Like, I have a ton of Winnie the Pooh stuff that I've done. I'm sure. He really likes... You know how kids, they just gravitate to watch, watch one film over and over again. He yeah. he really likes um, Springtime for Rue, and he really likes the original, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, uh, and there's a Christmas special that he watches those three. Um... And I said to him one time, I did talk to him as Piglet and said, does this sound like Piglet? Uh, and he said, no, Daddy. <laughs> and, and you're like, oh, maybe well, I need yeah, to work exactly. on this <laughs> Exactly. Are you allowed to do the Piglet voice outside oh, sure. of Disney? Oh, my God, sure. do it. Now, I don't know how much this will sound like it because. I'm judging uh, you harshly. Uh, well, no, I'm just telling you that um, uh, they pitch it. So, uh, oh, so even they can tone yeah, it a little bit. when John was doing it, he was just talking in his regular voice and they pitched it uh, uh, up a bit and sped it up a bit. So, uh, with me, uh, because of the way technology works, they don't have to pitch and speed up. Uh, when I talk, they can just pitch it up, uh, uh, electronically. Because you naturally have such a deep voice. I do not. You're blushing a little bit right now. Are you uh, nervous? A deep voice? Yeah. I well, no. I usually uh, I'm well, like the voice of a teenage gravelly. girls. You don't have the. Well, that's because it's 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 <laughs> earlier in the day, but for you, for you. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, but yeah. Uh, right. So so. Huh, uh, oh, did it hear? It's hard to be brave when you're such a small animal. Oh. <laughs> so. Uh, so oh, imagine yay! that pick, pitched up slightly. Uh, so it's only great. 10%, but it's pitched up slightly. Oh, that's um, so great. And I bet Evan is just like, one day he'll fully appreciate it. One day he'll fully pre- Of course, by the time, you know, who knows how, how everything works at Disney. But, I mean, I've been Piglet for over 15 years now. But uh, but who knows how things work at Disney. Maybe by the time he's older, I won't be Piglet anymore. Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I think they're pretty happy with, with what I do. But, yeah. Um, but, you F know. them if they're not. That's what I say. F Disney. No, I'm just kidding. We no, love Disney. No, no. no, we love no, Disney. We love Disney. <laughs> we don't love Disney. Everyone has to say that. Disney is like the mafioso. Like, you must love Disney or you will never work in this town. Well, again. and they Dis- own everything. I will say this. Disney has been very good to me and mm-hmm. they're they've been they've been a great company to work for. I and I'm I it it is very exciting to be part of something like that. You know, to be to be part of of something that is known worldwide Uh, i mean i'm probably the most famous for being the voice of piglet than anything else because my voice is heard all over the world as that particular character Mm -hmm. you know if you go and you visit 
Disney World and you go to the Piglet ride and you knock on Piglet's house, you're going to hear my voice. If you go to Japan, you're going to hear my voice, you know, and the Disney there thing there. There, there are, you know, um, unless there, there are a couple countries that I uh, like I don't do the uh, Spanish Disney version of, of Piglet and I don't do the <laughs> Japanese version of Piglet. Hola, but yo soy Piglete. Exactly. <laughs> oh. See, I could do it. <laughs> uh, but, um, but you know, any English-speaking country around the world, my voice is being heard. That's there. so cool. And toys it's and like so it's, it's like they call, I mean, like you said, the name, they're actually called Legacy Voices. I mean, mm-hmm. there's something kind of um romantically hollywood about that like mm-hmm. it is a legacy voice and um, they call them that because they try to keep the legacy of the voice alive in that um even even now as long as i've been doing this voice and i kind of consider it like you know that's my piglet's mine now you know right. I kinda, that's of how course. i feel about it right although i still have only been piglet half as long as john fiedler has uh was but but even now, if I go in and I do a toy or something specific, they will play me original Piglet to get my, you know, get my ear because they oh, want it to sound. They all they want legacy voices to sound like they've sounded forever. Consistent. They want Mickey Mouse to sound like what Mickey Mouse sounded like in 19, you know, mm-hmm. 32. They want Piglet to sound exactly like he sounded like in 1960. Wow. You know, so it's, it's, but that's one of the great things about Disney is because they know what their fans love, right? The nostalgia of some of the earlier stuff that they've done and that feeling that it brings to people, whether it's in a voiceover or like visually in an animation or at the, the park. I was talking about this on my podcast a couple of weeks ago is just how there's something very special about Disneyland and the way that they do their park and give you that feeling of, um, magic mm-hmm. and it's and it's down to the detail that's where Disney I think succeeds is in the details yeah and I think I mean I think even the people at Disney would probably acknowledge this to a certain extent uh, it was also there was something about Walt Disney I mean Walt Disney was one of you know you we used to have this thing of like who are the three most influential people who ever lived and I would say Disney is mm-hmm. one of them three most influential people who oh, ever lived. Absolutely. He was a vig- visionary and he was a, he was a creative force, probably unlike anything that we've seen in, in certainly within our lifetimes, like uh, within the modern era, you would probably have to go back to a Shakespeare or to a, uh, maybe to, to HG uh, Wells, before you find another person who was so influential and changed the industry and changed the way we look at the creative universe more than Disney did. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he created cartoons for adults, basically. Yeah. He created full-length cartoons. He created the theme park. He created, um, you know, he, he created almost created family entertainment as a viable as entertainment method. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's, uh, there was before Disney, there wasn't anything like what, what, what he, he does, what they did, you know I mean? He just, and he took so many chances that could have been horrible failures throughout mm-hmm. his lifetime. I mean, I, I, one of the saddest things is he died young. Yeah. 
You know, if he had lived another 20 years, I can't imagine what else he would have. Because if you go to Disneyland, the rides that he created, that he oversaw, are still the best rides at Disneyland, yeah. you know? And I, you know, and I know the people over, uh, you know, over, over there and I, you know, no offense to them, but my kid still was the most drawn to the small haunted world. house and to uh, small world and to pirates of the Caribbean. Like those were the things he loved the most. And there, those were all yeah. Walt Disney creations, you know? And, and, uh, I mean, he's just, he's, he's pretty amazing. I took Channing on small world, um, a couple of months ago and, or not small world. I'm sorry. Pirates of the Caribbean. And as we were going through it, it was just the two of us. Um, I was like, Oh, this might be a little scary for her. There's a few darker parts. I mean, she's only two and a half. So I was like, Ooh, I don't know. And she just kind of watched everything and she was real quiet and we get off and we're walking out and I'm holding her hand. And I was like, did you like that? And she goes, that was kind of scary, but I liked it. And I was like, I think that's because there's it's scary, but it still has that childlike hint of fun and like excitement. And it's also wonderment. And there is a yeah. sense that what's happening there isn't going to jump on the boat. Right. You're not you like know? terrified. Yeah. It's not like those 3D rides where it feels like it's coming right at right, you. Right, right. Which there's still like this feeling of safety about it. But uh, I mean, to give you an idea of how far ahead Disney was thinking... Uh, when he filmed The Wonderful World of Disney television show, he filmed it in color, on color film. This was when television was in black and white. Mm-hmm. Okay. And his people asked him at the time, why are we doing this on color film? Why are we, you know, everybody else is doing video. And why are we doing this on color film? It's so much more expensive. And he said, because eventually there is going to be color television. And when there is, I want to be able to have an entire catalog that I can replay that is in color and we will be right on the forefront. So he said that at a time when there was no color television and no reruns. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's how that's what he was thinking. So his ability to foresee where we would be going with that. I mean, that's amazing. And they were much more expensive. I mean, not just a little bit more expensive. They were like like three or four times what a normal show. would. Do you think he was a time traveler? <laughs> uh, uh, if he was a time traveler, he probably wouldn't have smoked so much. Oh yeah, Ooh, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Point, like, like point. you know, I mean, yeah. that was like his one. Because I know, you, know you also have a little inner nerdy. You know, oh yes, very nerdy. very nerdy. Yeah. In fact, uh, um, <laughs> oh yes, very nerdy. Well, I mean, uh, it was it oh, who was it? Somebody used to say that that like I'm the I'm the secret hidden king of the nerds. Yeah. Because if you uh, do a Venn diagram. Of all the people I know and all the the things that places I've worked, mm-hmm. uh, I am like the central nexus point of some of the biggest nerd Nerds. things in the world. <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, I mean, obviously, Will Wheaton and Felicia Day were students and good right. friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have numerous friends who are in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, did I, you watch that documentary recently that Shatner did on oh yeah. uh, Star Trek? What did you think about that? Oh, I liked it. I, I, I thought you it know, was interesting. Yeah. I was surprised to find out just how much drama was going on behind the I scenes know. in the I early know. seasons. Honestly, throughout well, I, the whole show. Will had privately told me a lot of the stuff that was happening yeah, when, they didn't, when, they didn't when really talk to him Next whole Generation lot, was happening. So oh, my gosh. I knew a lot of the stuff about like the whole... Uh, and it was pretty, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, I mean, and uh, I mean, Will was very close with, um, uh, with Gene Roddenberry because mm-hmm. Gene, Gene placed his character there, uh, as a version of himself. Of himself. Like he, yeah. he, that was kind of him yeah. living vicariously through, uh, Wesley Crusher's character. Um, so he got real close to, to, to Gene, but, but, uh, and, and I worked with, and I'm, I'm, uh, for years and was friends with, uh, Luke Skywalker himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we used to do voiceover oh, really? work, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and we used to hang out in the parking lot and talk. And, and, uh, so I, I know a bunch, a bunch of people from the star Wars universe. Uh, I've so worked like, in comic books and superhero stuff and like, like in terms of writing or, uh, I've, I've. Uh, yeah, in terms of, of writing, just the people that I know, mm-hmm. uh, and of course I I used to write for video games. I, w- I worked at numerous video game places. Do you ever feel knowing all of these you know famous people and all of the connections you've made in animation and directing, writing, and all that stuff? Do you ever wish that you yourself had more notoriety and more quote unquote fame in the business? I wish my career was further along than it was. Definitely, my directing career, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, it's frustrating. It's difficult to break in uh, as a director. Uh, I don't know that I would want to be more famous. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of famous friends. Yeah. And their lives are not necessarily enriched by their fame. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mine would be, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I think that's one of the reasons why I stopped pursuing an on-camera career because I I think I really enjoy being the power behind like when yeah, I was at Acme I yeah. when I was at Acme I loved looking at what what was there and going I created all this mm-hmm. and I'm responsible for what's happening on stage and the and the the success that's here and I know I taught all these people how to do this and yet I don't have to be the one that everybody's coming to afterwards or I'm not the one on stage. It's a, it's an, I, I, I enjoy the anonymity of it. Okay. You know, for example, I, you know, I, I wrote and directed a film, uh, but nobody's going to stop me on the street and want to have a conversation about that film. Yeah. Uh, because you know, 50% of them will, will want to, tell me off about it <laughs> you know i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it's not necessarily always going to be a good conversation and it's yeah. and it's and it's you know uh most you know i mean uh most people couldn't pick uh the director of batman versus superman out of a crowd right you know um they just wouldn't know what he looks like uh but that wouldn't be the case for the stars now, one of the other things that you do that i find really fascinating is your punch-up work mm-hmm. um how now that's really anonymous yeah i was gonna say i mean yeah. talk about like the unsung hero of a screenplay you know um you know you have your writer the person who writes right. it and then you got the guy or gal who comes in and and either makes it funnier or more dramatic or you know whatever I, I what do you do as a punch-up writer well you do exactly that you come in and what i am usually for is one of two things i am either to make the dialogue seem more natural like two people are actually talking mm-hmm. 
or I'm brought in to try and make things funnier. I'm, I'm brought in usually, usually for one of those two things, very, not very often both, but usually for one of those two things. Like when I was brought in to the movie planes, I was brought in, uh, to make it funnier. Um, I don't know that in the end they kept enough of what I did to, to do that. Yeah. Um, and I also was brought in later to, uh, almost everything that the, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but it's about a plane race mostly everything that's said by the guys who are calling the race, the, the sports type talk, all of that is stuff I wrote now. Uh, I'm not listed anywhere on planes. Yeah, I'm not say, in the credits for planes at all. Why is that not part of your contract, or it's just not something they when do? You're, when you're brought in to be a a when you punch, punch up. up something, or or you're you're or you are being paid for your anonymity. So um, there are some movies I've worked on that I can't even say on this podcast that I've worked on star Wars, the force awakens. No, no, but there are some, (laughs) there are some big comedies that I've worked on where some of the jokes up there on the screen are my jokes. Yeah. And I'm not allowed to say which ones those are. Will you tell me when we stop recording? I can tell you when if we stop recording. If I swear, recording. I will sure. only write it on my sure. blog and not anywhere else. No. Well, you can't write it anywhere. nowhere. But <laughs> but I mean, I can tell you a couple. I mean, but yeah. but uh, but there's some that I can't even tell you. That's so. I mean, my here, what's funny is my agent can like because obviously I have to, to I have to yeah. get work, so they have to be able to say. Have and there are a few them- things I do put out, like like planes, for example, is one of those where I'm I'm not sworn to secrecy on. Yeah. So I actually put that on on a resume and say, sure. you know, I worked there for, for, for a while and I worked on planes, but I definitely wish that my punch up work. Cause I think I would have a very different, I think people I think in, the, totally have a different in the industry would probably view me very differently if they knew how many famous films I've How many on. of them have any of them gone on to win like awards? Oh yeah. Oh my God. Like, so you have worked on like Academy Award or Emmy Award yeah. winning or Golden yeah. Globe winning projects. Yeah, absolutely. And how frustrating is that for you to be sitting there like, really, Mother Truckers? Like, well, it has gotten to the point in my career where I, um, I'm starting to, I'm, I'm starting to choose projects by what I can get a credit on. Yeah. Um, uh, my frustration was when I was at Disney, when I was working on planes is I was actually head writer of another project. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that project went into turnaround. Um, and the f- director was let go. Uh, and as a result, I stopped working on it, but, mm-hmm. but whatever, what they did after that, which bear little to no resemblance of what I was working on mm-hmm. through no fault of my own was, was completely different. So right. I didn't get a credit on that. And that, right. and the whole reason I was working on planes was for the hope that I would get a writing credit on, on that, that other, other project. project. Oh, so it was so like, frustrating. yeah. So it was, it was, it was just one of those things was like, Oh, I just Don't cannot you just feel like though, since you've seen almost all sides of this business right. now from acting, directing, writing, animation, all of that, there's just, there's a constant disappointment where you're like, at some point, you're striving to get to that end goal and what you want. And it just seems like somebody with more power talking about wanting to be in control and being power, somebody with more power and control is always in your way. Yeah. I mean, and I've had, I also have had like a, a, my career is full of some really amazing misses. So yeah, I had a movie called Armageddon again that was on the blacklist two years in a row. Uh, that film was sold three times and greenlit twice. Now, normally when you're greenlit in, in the industry, that means your, your film is going to be made. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I had mine greenlit twice, same film, and it didn't get made. Different production companies? or First it was New Line, and we had a table read. Let me tell you who was at that table read. Uh, the table read the, the the movie is a is a spoof on disaster films. Uh, it's 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 a movie where uh, a impending ice age, a uh, asteroid colliding with Earth, and an alien invasion is all happening at the exact same time. <laughs> uh, and so it mostly spoofs Armageddon, Deep Impact, uh, ID Four, and uh, uh, the Day After Tomorrow, which was all recent films back right. when I wrote it. Um, and uh, at the table read was Bruce Willis mm-hmm. uh, playing himself, the president, and his and his stunt double. Uh, it was um, uh, the fellow from uh, Apollo thirteen. Uh, oh, what's his Gary name? Gary Sinise. Nope. The Tom uh, Hanks. Nope. Guy who was in charge of uh, Grand Ed Patrol. Harris. Ed Harris. Oh my God, I love Ed Harris. Ed Harris playing. I also, that's one of my favorite movies of all time, so. Yeah, Ed Harris basically spoofing the role that he played in that film because he was he wow. was NASA. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum mm-hmm. playing Secretary of State. The lead characters were played by um, Bradley Cooper and, uh, uh, oh, the girl from uh, uh, Zach and Mira make a porno. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Banks. Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. That was the that was the core cast at the table read. Wow! For that movie, all right. Yeah, there was a bunch of other famous people there, but those people were the core cast at a table read for my film. Oh my god! These were the people who were going to be in that movie. Okay. Wow. Um, and it, the New Line people said it was the funniest table read they'd ever seen. And the guy who was in charge of New Line at the time, Bob Shea, who was fired a year later didn't think the script was very funny. Mm. And he told the guy who was uh, overseeing the executive who now runs New Line that if he did the movie and it didn't do well, it was his head. Oh, wow. So, so he, they took it off the... So they so they, were, they were they went from fast-tracking the movie to putting it into turnaround. Uh, Bruce Willis came up to me and said it was one of the funniest films he had ever read. That's nice. Then we immediately sold it to uh, Screen Gems. It was greenlit again. Uh, they they did a contract with Ed Harris, pay or play. Uh, and over the weekend, the head of New Line, uh, head of I'm sorry, the head Screen of Gems. Screen Gems, uh, decided that it was too expensive. And we were greenlit on Friday and ungreenlit on Monday, but nobody told. Um, Nobody Ed, told Ed. legal, so Ed Harris's <gasps> contracts were signed. So they paid a million dollars for that for film. For a movie you never made. For the movie that they didn't make. Wow, this ha- town is ridiculous. It was then, uh, when it turned around, it was immediately sold to Brandenburg Studios in Germany, and I don't know what ever happened with it f- after that, because I, you really I stopped caring. Oh my God, um, that's got to be so frustrating, especially yeah. after you've labored over something oh, for yeah. so long, and you get so close to, you know. Yeah. Yep. I think as actors, sometimes we forget when we go out on an audition, uh, even if it's a pilot or something like that, we go out and we say, this is it. This is my big life changing role, you know, and we audition for it a few times. And then if it doesn't move forward behind that is a writer who and a producer or showrunner who has been working on it for months or years to try to get it, you know, to go. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's good to put things in perspective. I mean, the whole reason I went out and made an independent film was just to have a writing credit. The, the most frustrating thing, cause, cause there's two main things that I've done throughout my career. I also wrote pilots mm-hmm. for years. I wrote six pilots in three years that, that I sold. Uh, did any of them go on to air? No. Uh, but the problem is, is each one of them was on IMDb while it was a pilot. Yeah. Then when it didn't get picked up, they're yanked off of IMDb. Mm -hmm. And then of course I do a lot of punch up work. Uh, and again, because I don't get a credit for that, it doesn't show up on IMDb. I have worked on, and then there's other stuff that just doesn't show up on IMDb because I don't know why. Like I did an episode of my friends, Tigger and Pooh as a writer. That's never showed up on IMDb, and I don't even know why. I think it's because you either have to go in and put it on well, yourself. some of it, yeah, and I'm not very good because at Because if the I'm production company isn't on the ball. Uh, because um, there's numerous cartoons I've written episodes for, mm-hmm. and of course nothing that I did for G4, mm-hmm. and, I, and I created the, some shows for G4, mm-hmm. none of that's on IMDb. My friend Christian used to work for G4. He said he wrote the monologue for a, a few years or the main or on attack of the show or attack it the show. Be, yeah. Um, he was the, the monologue writer or something. Yeah. But I mean, I, I created and, and, and literally wrote the scripts for, for numerous shows on that show and none of that showed up on IMDb. But I think part of the reason for that was I had to be listed as a producer. It's yeah. a non-union thing. So I had to be listed as a producer. IMDb is a, a tricky thing. But, but the, the long story short, I have worked on at least 20 television shows that I can think offhand. Uh, I I have sold eight pilots. I have worked on 30 films at least. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's on IMDb as a writer for me is the one film that I went and did independently as a writer-director. Yeah. Uh, because, and that was the, the biggest reason I did that was literally to get a credit out there on IMDb because it was driving me nuts because I would tell people I was a writer and then they would go look because unfortunately people use IMDb as a as a a measure of of, of whether you're being Mm -hmm. a bullshit artist or not (laughs) and they would look me up and there would be very little on there to indicate that I was a writer so they would think that I didn't do much and yet and yet you know I, I bought Acme off of my off of being a writer. Yeah. I mean, that's what I kills feel like me. Maybe you need to go in and just put them on IMDb yourself. Well, and the other thing is, too, when you sell scripts and they don't get made, that doesn't show up on IMDb no, yeah, either. That's true. So I've sold like seven films uh, to to major studios that don't show up there because I, I think and each one of those is a fairly significant paycheck. I feel like though, that's just part of the unsung hero. That is the writer. I guess. I mean, I, I the writers s- never get as much credit as the actors do and, or the directors. Or the directors I mean, sure. they really are. You, the, 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 the writer really is the least respected and least powerful part of the, uh, Process. process which is interesting because the producer is more powerful the director is more powerful the actors are more powerful i would say in many cases the cinematographer and and the heads of departments are more powerful than the writer uh they're the last people often to be thought of especially in big budget films yeah. they, they, they'll go and start production without a script uh and and you know uh, the big thing from last weekend batman versus superman had a complete crap script Yes, you know, everyone says. You know, and, I haven't and, seen it yet. And yet they, they spent like $250 million on that film. They couldn't have have really 
said, you know, we should probably have a really good script. I mean, there are really... It doesn't matter. People don't care about that. They want to see action. And unfortunately, that's that's the problem, though. But But when you do a good... I still say there is a big difference between a crappy scripted movie that goes out there and makes a lot of money and a a Guardians of the Galaxy which is a big budget film that had a great script so great you know such a fun movie and and they can be that they they can all be that yeah, you know it can be both. you have when you're making a film that is that big you can have scripts that are that good you mm-hmm. you can you can shop around. You can you can get writers that have that ability to write those scripts. Yeah, a lot of it is 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 producers that can't that don't have the ear or the eye for a good script. Directors that do not necessarily have an ear or an eye for a good script. You know, um, because the script has to make it past those two people. Even when you sell it, mm-hmm. I have sold scripts and then watched them turn into something completely different yeah uh throughout the process through no fault of my own maybe somebody went and punched up your script well or completely <laughs> rewrote it or completely yeah. rewrote it yeah you know, and as in one case um you know and i would have ended up getting the credit for that but it wouldn't have been my work yeah yeah I feel like there's so much more that we could talk about. I have so many questions, especially like the nerd stuff and like the writing and stuff like that. I feel like we could probably sit here for a few hours and talk, um, but everybody would be like, Jesus, wrap it up. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Anytime. Sharing your infinite wisdom and experience. Um, I know you don't tweet very much. I don't. I'm terrible at at social media. I, I am on social media. Um, uh, I will to, to tell you, episodes, right? to, well, to, uh, to tell you, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going on Twitter right now to look up what my Twitter handle is. You don't is. know. <laughs> I'm telling Travis, you, that's, that's terrible. We live isn't in it? a day and age where everybody I'm, has to be. I'm at Travis underscore Oates. All right. Everybody, uh, mark that down. Travis underscore Oates. Yeah. I follow you. I'm on there. Um, everybody go find Travis. Also, uh, you're not on Facebook though, or anything like that. Not right? on Facebook. Um, you're doing Vine, just or terrible. YouTube stuff. I don't, I don't do, <laughs> I don't do any, any of the social media stuff. I'm going to go and look for some still frames of, um, of, uh, beachcombers and what's the other one? Danger Bay. You're not going to find any, <laughs> you're not going to find anything. You'll be able to find, you won't find anything with me on beachcombers. I mean, if you really went through every Danger Bay, and f- I don't know which one I'm on, you might. I suppose just one. I'll I was I was it. just on one episode. I'm gonna Google it. Um, if anybody else out there finds it, yeah, look, go look through Beachcombers. Well, the problem with Beachcombers is that was, that was before everything went online, and but I because I've looked for myself. In. Yeah, I've looked for myself to try and find find some stuff for myself, and I have I haven't been able. There's got to gotta be yet. some fans out there somewhere, somebody who has access to it or has a way to find it. If and, you got like 19. 19- 83 and 4, I think. All right. Beachcombers. Yeah. All right. Everybody, you have a mission. Go and find it. Go. Good um, <laughs> Thanks again, Travis. And everybody, uh, make sure you go to motherhoodinhollywood.com to find out more information about Travis and also uh, his Twitter. <laughs> and <laughs> make sure you subscribe to Motherhood in Hollywood if you haven't already. And follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Bye. 
Balls.